BWI Live here in week three of Penn State Spring Football. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be getting to a number of topics today about spring practice, the players standing out, some of the storylines coming out of week two as we head into that third week. And of course, we'll be giving you our thoughts about everything here on BWI Live. But the first thing I want to know are your thoughts. If you're watching here on uh, YouTube here at noon, welcome to the show. Make sure you throw your thoughts, questions, comments in the chat. We'll be getting to your questions. Uh, all of that stuff coming up throughout the show. So uh, make sure you get your voice heard on the BWI live show. And of course, if you want to and you're feeling generous, Super Chats are enabled on all of our live shows. So if you want to donate to the channel, keep this buggy rolling. We always appreciate that. But we'll be talking today about veteran leadership on defense. Hearing from head, uh, offensive coordinator Mike Yersich on the freshmen that have come in and uh, their progress so far this spring at the running back and the quarterback position. And of course, We'll be talking about the defense with Manny Diaz. That and more on BWI Live. Let's get to the people you're going to be hearing from today. First off, senior editor Nate Bauer joining the show as always. Nate, good afternoon. What's going on, T. Frank? How are we doing today? Uh, doing well, other than I did not ask you a proper question to set you up with a good answer, so that's my bad. Dave Ecker joins the show. I'll probably do the same thing to him. He'll be talking about basketball later on in the show with uh, recruiting, the class of 2022, and more. So give us 10 seconds of good basketball info right now. You know, I thought the Final Four was fun, T. Frank. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Some stuff going on. We'll get to it. It'll be fun. All right. And of course, as always, if you're watching the show, we always appreciate uh, your support. And that goes a long way when you like and share the video, especially liking the video. If you're here at the beginning of the show, you're showing up. You're the early bird. As always, like I said, get your questions into the chat. We'll be getting that to that throughout the show and the likes shares always appreciated so gentlemen week three of penn state football what are you curious about to start this week knowing what we know learning what we learned over the last two weeks dave start with you yeah um i'm curious as to whether some of the guys who we're hearing about um you know guys like Z zane durant zaki wheatley on defense whether that spring buzz is going to translate into like an actual run at significant playing time because it doesn't, it, it doesn't always, right. Um, there, there's always guys in the spring who we hear about and they're doing awesome. And, and sometimes that leads to, um, you know, something significant in the fall and sometimes it doesn't. So I think just the, the more information that we can get on those types of guys, just to kind of get a feel for whether or not, they, they can contribute this fall is going to be key as we kind of move along here. That's that's a, a great point. We'll be getting to some of those names a little bit in the show. We'll be discussing that topic. Nate, what about you? What are you curious to learn about this week when we get our view at Penn State football and spring practice or just things you're musing on? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly to, to Dave's point, I, I think that there is an element of, um, you know, like, there's the uh, hype is the wrong word, but there's the buzz, right? That yeah. happens during the spring. And then there's the reality. And the reality right. is that true freshmen and early enrollees, even when they've had a great spring, a great winter workout, a great summer, 
it's incredibly rare that they're going to start right right yeah. like they're just they're, it, it's not going to happen so like Zaki Wheatley is to Dave's point uh, a, a great guy that yeah you're going to you're going to look at and and you're going to say wow he's he's really making a move this spring and i think that he is making a move this spring but is he in that conversation with Keaton Ellis and Jalen Reed and uh Tig no probably not Right. Like that would be that would be much rarer. So, right. No, I think I think that's one thing, uh, you know, continue to see where this offensive line and running game is going. I mean, it's like I understand that it's beating a dead horse, but if there continues to be a buzz, if there continues to be a sense of uh, optimism, I think uh, about them being able to figure out those issues and sort them out, it sets them up to have the type of summer that maybe it doesn't take so long to get it going once the actual season starts. Uh, appreciate the comments coming in so far. Nate, one thing uh, we James Franklin did mention was that they feel good about playing four safeties this year, and I think that's an important yeah. part about starting versus participating. And if you feel like right. Zaki Wheatley is on track to participate, that depth... Yep means you don't have to rely on guys so uh, severely. And and I've been going back and looking at some of the snap counts over the last six years for James Franklin and Brent Pry at Penn State, and the bench got a lot shorter the last couple of years. So can they get back to that point where they're playing depth, they're getting guys in the game, and they feel comfortable and confident with the players on the football field that they can rely on them in key moments? I mean, if you go back to 2019, Joey Porter Jr., and uh, Keaton Ellis were freshmen at corner that played in meaningful games on a potential college football playoff run. They have yep. not done that over the last two years. So do they get back to that with some of those young guys? We'll be talking about that, of course, in a little bit. I keep teasing that, but some of the questions coming in uh, right now that I want to get to, uh, this is something I wanted to uh, talk about early because Alex asked a great question. Thoughts on Andrew Rapplier decommitting from Michigan, turning right around and committing to Penn State. Also, do you consider him underrated? I'll give you a quick scouting report on Andrew Rapplier first, Alex. We are talking about him on the BWI Daily Edition. Ryan Snyder is going to make a special guest appearance. So we'll talk about that story and how all that broke down. And of course, he and Greg will talk about that on the recruiting show for the BWI Daily coming up on Tuesday. But the first thing is Andrew Rapplier. I, I don't know that he's underrated. I think he's un, a little bit undiscovered. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, because Michigan, Boston College, Penn State all really wanted this guy. And consider the fact that Penn State has had like nine tight ends in their room so far that have transitioned to other positions. Uh, quick scouting report on Rappelier. He is a pure receiver. And, and I mean that in a tight end sense, because I think he can be a complete player when it comes to blocking, receiving, but being a real route runner at that position. He has some really great route instincts. He has some great route techniques that he uses already. So the threat of him in a multidimensional role, I think, is great. So I wanted to make sure we got to that because that was the breaking news yesterday morning that Andrew Rapelier flipped from Michigan to Penn State. And we'll get to the details on that story, like I said, in a couple of other shows here on the BWI live show. So, getting some uh, more of your stuff later, but we talked to Penn State head coach James Franklin, offensive coordinator Mike Yursich, and a couple of players last week. So, um, let's start with the defense. 
Uh, and I'm going to go a little bit out of order here because I think this is a very interesting topic to yep. bring up because it does have an impact. It will have an impact on Penn State this next fall, how well Penn State transitions into Manny Diaz's defense. So, Nate, coming back to you, what did James Franklin yeah. say when asked about that this spring? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it, it was expect a learning curve. And and you've kind of heard this. I think that Pro Day offered some some fairly good insight into this, but you know, they're talking about like, hey, you have these guys have to learn a whole new system, right? And the way that Manny Diaz was kind of introduced by James Franklin when he was hired was this notion of, well, it's uh, there are so many similar things to Brent Pry and what Brent Pry does that it should be fairly seamless, right? Like they're not they're not completely upending the defensive system that they run, but I. I don't know. Maybe you feel differently. Maybe it sounded the same to you. It, it certainly sounded to me as though Franklin was laying this groundwork of, hey, this spring is learning. Yeah. This is a learning period for Penn State's defensive players. They're going to need all of the spring, right? Because he, yeah. he was talking, one of the question. One of the questions was about uh, Curtis Jacobs and how he is taking on a leadership role. And Franklin was like, whoa. Right. Uh, not we'll get to leadership later. Right. Uh, that, that's something that can be handled down the line because right now it is 15 practices that set up the summer. And really, I, I think what he said was expect them to kind of round into form and into shape two weeks into preseason practice. Yeah. So it, that is that is a much different timeline yep. than you've seen from Penn State in the past. That is uh, that is the time where we have to check in and make sure this is going right is I think kind of the the way I'd phrase it of if we're not ready two weeks into training camp like then we've got to discuss some things but until then it's that's the process of how you install a new defense this is something really interesting Dave that um I think we've had some questions about when it comes to Manny Diaz and James Franklin's approach to bringing in offensive coordinators bringing in um uh just coordinators in general of you want guys that fit you want guys that do similar things, but at the same time, James Franklin typically lets those guys be who they are. Were you surprised when it came to Manny Diaz? It sounds like he's just installing his defense. They're not going to really keep any sort of terminology. They're not going to keep any sort of uh, philo anything outside of the philosophical sameness. They're not keeping anything from Brent Price defense. Was that a surprise to you? Um, Yeah, I, I, I would say a little bit because that that seems to be what James Franklin says when he appoints anyone is, Hey, we'd kind of like to, you know, we're going to adopt some of this person's ideas, but it, we'd like to keep it like within the same shell is just generally what he tends to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a reason for that. I don't know if maybe he's just trying to like ease, ease, over the transition or, or maybe solve any potential problems with some players he's recruiting maybe when he says that, I don't know. Um, but it, it, it is kind of stark the way that he's talking about it right now as something that's totally new and totally different. So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think it might kind of give you into a window of like, okay, when James Franklin hired Manny Diaz, right. When they made that hire, the thing that was kind of on the top of everybody's mind was recruiting, right? Yeah. It was just after, um, the the early signing period, 
it they were i think if i remember correctly they had a big weekend of visits coming up right when that happened so it's in his best interest i think at that point in time to say okay this is going to be similar nobody freak out it's going to be fine like everybody's role is still gonna you'll fit right um and now if you think about it um you know like maybe he's kind of setting things up for I'm not implying that it's this it's going to work out this way but if things don't go super well at the beginning of the season for the defense you know it might be a softer landing for him if James Franklin kind of cushions the blow by saying they're installing something new so I don't know maybe a window into how uh James Franklin thinks about speaking publicly um, Nate I, you you're opening your mouth to answer the question I was just going to ask yeah. do, you, do you agree with that yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's any question that it has to be like the dynamic of last year has to be different just by matter of uh, nature, right? Like, like you can't you can't expect the defense to continue to post given all of the losses that they've sustained in personnel. I don't care if you're bringing in New Rockney uh, as your defensive coordinator. You're just not going to post 17 and a half points a game on defense. Uh, and expect your offense scoring 22 points a game to to be to work out like it's just that's not going to happen. The offense has to be better, has to put up better numbers, and naturally, I think the defense is going to be. Uh, I talked about this on on the the uh, the Saturday piece that I put together, but there's the conversation in the spring always, 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 and this is nationally is that the defense is ahead of the offense always. And it goes the same way in preseason practice. I don't think that's going to be the case for Penn State this this cycle. Um, and that is a big part of it is they, they've got a lot to take in. They've got a lot to understand. A lot of guys who have been in Brent Prize system, and this is something that James Franklin brought up, a, a lot of guys that have been in Brent Prize system who, who have an instinctual reaction to – certain things, right? The way that, that Brent Pry has wanted them to be done for all of those years in the past that are changing. And so you've got to, you've got to unwire, rewire and make good uh, all of those, all of those reflexes. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that that's going to take time. And I think that that's going to be an expectation that, Hey, maybe Penn state's offense is going to have to be clicking and firing at the, at the start of the season, uh, you know, to provide some cushion for Penn state's defense to be able to get its feet under it. So, you know, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's terribly drastic and I'm trying to come up with a good analogy on the fly here, but um, it's like, it's like if you're making a cake, you need all the ingredients to work. You need all of the steps to be performed in order and you need everything to work together. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're making a cake. We're not making pie. And I think that's the difference here with with uh, with Manny Diaz and Brent Pry. is it's still cake. It might still be chocolate cake, but we might have a different type of icing. So is is the process to getting there different? Um, yeah, a little bit. And, and that's, I, I think, what he's talking about with run fits at linebacker, where you're still fitting into a gap and, and football and those things don't necessarily change. It's okay. Instead of 
you going to the B gap, I want you in the A gap or whatever. And then he talked about one of the examples he gave, he talked about Nick Tarburton is we're going to take, if we take on pulling linemen differently, he's been taking it. Maybe it's instead of taking it on with one shoulder and keeping your outside arm free, we want you to emphasize squaring up and making the, the running back bounce so that we can get guys to get into the backfield. Things like that where it's not a wholesale change. It's not like, okay, instead of you taking on the the pole blocker, we're going to have somebody else do it entirely. Or we're going to, again, go back to just the most obvious transition is we're going to run with three down linemen and we're going to have our outside linebackers do this and they've never done it before. So tweaks that I think are mental learning curves, and I think what you guys are saying are correct, but hopefully you've recruited smart, uh, defender, defensive football players that can see the similarities, see where you can transition some things mentally, and then you can get over the stuff that does not translate well in a in a fashion that is is reasonable. So, which one of you wants to take Adam's question? I've had it here up on on the screen for a little bit. Who are the starting linebackers this year? All three positions. I got you. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Sam, Jonathan Sutherland. Will, Curtis Jacobs, Mike, either Tyler Tyler Elsden or Kobe King or a transfer. All right. Um, Nate, do you have anything to add? I also, I also want to say, for the record, T. Frank, that he should be making pie because pie is better than cake. If James Franklin can't hire a defensive coordinator that can make pie, then I don't think he can succeed at Penn State moving forward. <laughs> okay, so now we have a new conversation, Nate. Pie or cake? <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not. I will not indulge this line. Um, now, I, I, the way it sounded to me, and again, like this is kind of just a natural progression thing, but it sounded to me like Tyler Elsden would be just at least a hair in front in that conversation. And mm -hmm. so, um, as of today, April fourth, he he would be the guy that I would pick as the starting mic. So we'll see. Is that, um, is that a long-term forecast or a, a seven day forecast? Uh, let's, let's call it monthly. Let's say that, let's say that in the, the blue white game, that would be my expectation is whoever the one side is that's loaded. He'd be on that side. Right. Like, right. That's typically how it goes is. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think where Dave's head in the transfer market is probably a good thought, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it just seems very clear that they're still looking for that. I don't know. I don't know that it's unfair to expect Elsden or King to be able to to fulfill that role. I think it's probably fair for for either one of them. Yeah. But I, I just think I think you feel a lot better if you've got a graduate transfer in that, in that space. A one year guy gives yeah. you a little bit of wiggle room. Those guys, somebody who's done it before marinate. Correct. Yeah. And, Correct. and that's, that's the important thing too, is that we I'm going back to what we've seen previously at Penn state is Ellis Brooks worked in as a freshman. They were, there were games. It was a different situation when they weren't playing big 10 games. The first week of the season where you could work some guys in, they could get some snaps. And then by the middle of the season, they've got some early playing time. You feel confident about what you see in practice. You can work them in in some important parts later in the season. Kobe King and Tyler Elson have not done that. And to answer the important question here, 
Pie is more consistent than cake. High-end cake is better than pie. But you rarely get high-end cake. And that's where I think Dave and I agree. Um, that veteran leadership you mentioned, Nate, with, uh, yes. hold on, let's learn the defense first. James Franklin did go on to say, um, we do need that leadership. We are losing some leaders. So is yep. this, this is my question. Is that something you always want to talk about if you're a coach? And when somebody asks about leadership, you always say, yes, we need more leadership and then bring it up and say something we want to develop. Because he went on to say, like, we do need to be working on it and developing it now so we don't have we don't miss it later. But he did say, like, let's learn the defense first. He's got to get his legs underneath him before he can start leading other people. So is it just a beneficial thing for a coach to talk about or is there legitimate reason for Penn State fans to focus on that leadership aspect this spring and next fall? Uh. Uh, yes, I think the answer to all is yes, right? It's mm-hmm. it's something that you, you don't want to put. These things happen in baskets, right? Like you have leadership and that has to be happening at the same time that you're you're growing this and developing from the perspective of learning the defense understood. But like they can happen at different rates, right? So like maybe, maybe you're not putting everything into the, the, uh, the leadership basket at one time at the same time that you're doing the development, but it doesn't mean that it can be not happening at all, right? Like you, you need, and I think this is what he's pointing to is you need players who have been there before to be able to supply that, that leadership, right? And Tig Brown is obviously one of them. But if you look around the rest of the defense, it's it's harder to come by, yeah. right? Like I mean, there there are there are fewer players who can say that they've had that starting role. Joey Porter Jr. maybe, um, Nick Tarburton maybe, but like Adisa Isaac is a great example of hey, it, it would be great to be able to say this about Adisa Isaac, but he's figuring his own stuff out. Like they, <laughs> like all through the defense, that statement figuring he's got his own stuff to figure out is very applicable. It, it, it is applicable at defensive tackle. Like you don't have PJ Mustafer there to, to be able to, to, to provide that, uh, that influence. And so I, 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 you know, I think it, I think it is absolutely a, an element that matters, right? Like leadership changes the dynamic of a team. And we focus on it and it's kind of amorphous and you can't really quite put your finger on what it means, but you kind of either have it or you don't. And if you don't, it's a problem. So I think certainly it's a, it's a thing that they are focusing on trying to develop, but they understand that the actual on field learning stuff has to be second nature before guys are going to feel comfortable telling other people what to do. Because that's a big part of it. Yeah, Dave, I just want to follow up with the same question. Do, do you think that this is a problem that Penn State needs to... Is this something that we're going to say in week four of the 2022 season, wow, Penn State really lacks leadership this year? Or is it something that if they're winning and playing well, we'll say, wow, look at all the leaders out there? I think leadership is difficult to talk about because by and large, it's like impossible for us to know right? Like we're not there every day, you know, like I don't know how Nick Tarburton actually acts with his teammates other than, you know, in the 15 minute window of practice, we, right. It's just like, it's, it's, 
it's the type of thing that like people make conjecture about and they very rarely actually know what the heck they're talking about. Like, you know, yep. some angry guy on Twitter is going to say they have no leaders after they lose a game that they shouldn't. Right. Yep. Um, but I think James Franklin's attitude toward all of this has kind of told us what, like what he thinks about it. I mean, there's a structure here. Like he has a leadership council. I think they're correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, but I think he has like a committee for each class leadership wise i i I don't remember exactly like each class very clearly yeah yeah so he very clearly clearly cares about it and gives it thought and value so obviously it's something that's been important to him um so i think it matters yeah so let's uh get a a listener question on here dave and i'm going to stay with you long-winded question from rs which of course that's great for this show as we are very long-winded um (laughs) do we get too caught up in the star ranking system as fans and listeners of course it's just a guideline but it feels like it's all that people look at where uh where has this been off i guess previously of star rankings so dave just uh, this is a pretty typical question i think when it comes to Uh, recruiting and and what we do from a basketball perspective and from a football perspective, because you have insight into both. What's your answer here? Right. So do I think that there is too much weight put into it? Yes. I do like the word that RS used or RS used there though, like guideline, like that's, that's the word that I would use, right? It's a guideline. Is it always correct? No. Is it probably correct more often than not? Yes. Um, but, you know, I mean, for example, right, we just had this last week with a, a hoops commit, Logan Imes, right? Logan Imes does not have a rating from on three yet. He doesn't have a rating from, I think, most of the other major recruiting sites either because he just hasn't been exposed to the folks who make those ratings. And because of that, you know, everyone thinks he's terrible when in reality he's very good. So, right, you know, sometimes stuff like that happens and people – make impressions that they shouldn't make and that to me is like the major gripe that i have with the system but generally and and on three is investing a lot into making those stars more accurate into ensuring that when you see those stars you're they contain the most amount of thought and and information possible so you know Yes, I think sometimes they can be focused on a little bit too much, but generally I think they're a good and useful tool, just maybe not an absolute. Yeah, and I'll just I'll follow up here with uh, the guy that I think this is directed at would be Andrew Rappelier, Penn State's commit from the class of 2023 that flipped from Michigan just yesterday morning. So there's a couple things that you need to know, RS, when it comes to recruiting rankings. They are done periodically, so they're not a real-time update through all of these things. So uh, there is certainly room for a guy to be gaining ground and gaining momentum. And these are 16, 17, 18-year-olds that are growing by the minute physically. So there's there can be a lag from a guy being ranked in, in the 300s by one site and a three-star. And then if you just updated your rankings at the right time, you might jump him somewhere else. So uh, that's kind of the situation with Andrew Rappelier. He at a, at, at uh, two four seven, his composite is he's a three star. At on three, because on three uses the consensus, and they use uh, which is a, a, an evenly weighted, uh, objective look at all the other rating systems, all the other sites that use star rankings. They take all of them evenly and they average it out. So Andrew Rappelier is two twenty eight nationally. But for on three, 
he's a almost a top 150 player in the nation. He is the ninth overall player in the nation at his position, and he's 167 overall. So I would not say in this particular case for this player, he is overlooked or underrated, which we talked about earlier, or that there is a, uh, um, you know, I think anything's really off about him. It's just some places might not have updated their, their rankings. They might not have taken a look at him just quite yet. A lot of things go into that. And then, of course, there's the the human element of this, of sometimes people are just wrong. You know, some people, it's an, it, it's an objective opinion about a player. All of this is to say, if you want more context, we're going to have a T. Frank's film room on Andrew Rappier coming up this week once I dive into his film. Watch the full game, give you the context of not just his highlight film, what he's good at, some areas of development, all that coming up this week. So if you want more of that information, this is a great time to remind you, first off, sign up for Blue White Illustrated. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com so you get the in-depth information, content of articles, and uh, behind-the-scenes message board information so you would know all the reasons why Andrew Rappier flipped from Michigan to Penn State. And secondly... Subscribe here to YouTube and hit the notification button so you don't miss anything on here on YouTube. That's where the video version of T. Frank's Film Room comes out. Mitchell Tinsley, big topic of conversation from James Franklin. Oh, Nate, you got something. I, I, I just want to I just want to say one thing, uh, which is the rankings right now, right? Ten months ahead of signing should be. Yeah, right. OK, right. Ratings, rankings. Uh, the rankings and stars and ratings on December 18th should be taken as gospel <laughs> because <laughs> they are they are not they are not taken seriously enough. Uh, it is proven. It is factual. These things play themselves out more often than not. If you look back at the final team rankings uh, for commitment, again, you're not talking about individual players uh, as necessarily all panning out. They are great predictors of how their careers will go. Mm-hmm. But it is it will happen that the teams that you see at the top of the team recruiting rankings year over year over the last, the previous four cycles will be a part of the conversation nationally at the top uh, in the coming years. Like yep. it's take it seriously. Yep. Anyway. And, 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 and four and five star players as well. So not all of them. And that's kind of the, the mathematics of percentages of not a hundred percent of anything works out in life, but the number of five star players on three has done a huge breakdown and you can, I think it's pretty soon or you can already search by star ranking. Historically, you can see the number of five star players that have been drafted, not just in the draft, but in the first round of the NFL draft. So getting those players and Penn State having three of them, it doesn't mean that all three of those players are going to work out. It means that maybe two of them will. And if you've got two five star players that are superior talents at key positions, that's a huge thing, and to continue to yep. stack that is really important because you're going to miss on some. And it, and if you have seven, that's even better. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at Georgia. <laughs> I'm looking at Texas A&M. Uh, anyway. Here's a question I don't really know how to answer. Does on three help with recruiting players to Penn State? N- no. I mean, I'm I'm severely underpaid if we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Bradley. I, I'm, I'm unsure what you mean by that. Do, do our rankings help Penn State attract better players? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. We, I mean, we don't directly influence where players go. That is, that's not the case. So, 
um, you know, uh, that answers that question. I, but I don't think I, I mean, answered I would, your question. I think I think that there is probably a future in which on threes NIL valuations probably will be used by individual programs, yes. including Penn State, to sell what it, it's offering, right? And it's yep. just a part of the package. But if Penn State can point to those NIL valuations and say, look, look at traditionally what we are worth. And again, I'm saying traditionally for something that doesn't exist yet or is <laughs> it's 72 minutes into, old. <laughs> yeah, it's 72 minutes old. But like in, in three years, absolutely. I think yeah. that will be part of the conversation is saying, hey, look, our, our guys generally are worth this in the NIL landscape. Yeah. And we're the only ones doing it. So, yes. But but that works for any school. Right. So I would yeah. even then it's not like on three is directly helping Penn state get players, but they can use the tools that anyone can see. If you've got an on three subscription to go in and look into that stuff and, and make those cases of why you should go to Penn state. Um, anything else there? I I mean, other than to say, like, obviously we are not telling Ryan Snyder is not telling Dave, you, nobody on the blue white illustrated staff is telling individual prospects, Hey, you should really consider going to Penn State. Like that does not happen. That <laughs> yeah. is not a conversation that ever, 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 ever happens. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to Mitchell Tinsley. I had a dumb, <laughs> I, I had a dumb joke, and we're gonna just move on from that. That's what that mental pause was. Do I say something dumb? No. Let's move on to Mitchell Tinsley because uh, James Franklin brought him up um, when talking about some of the players that Penn State media and fans want to get to know more about. Uh, Dave, what did he say? And what were your thoughts in, on his comments about Mitchell Tinsley? Yeah, he said kind of what I expected him to say, which is he's polished. He's been through this before. He basically just knows what he's doing. And I think that's what Penn State was after. Um, so, you know, he, he the, the interesting part of what he said was that he thinks that Tinsley is going to benefit benefit from seeing how some of the guys he's competing with test, um, which you know I'm, I'm I'm guessing implies that Tinsley can improve in some of those in some of those categories. I'm not really sure what he meant by that, but I thought that was interesting. He mentioned overall, explosive metrics. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, he he he's a guy who probably hasn't had access to some of the methodologies and ideas and maybe even just equipment that he's going to have at Penn state. Um, so certainly you would expect him to get better, uh, in, in that regard. But, um, as far as just who he is, James Franklin kind of said what I expected him to say, right? Like he's a guy who's going to help them immediately. He's a guy who's going to be consistent. He, you know what you're getting from him. Um, and I think it was important that Penn state landed a guy like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think some of the explosive metrics might mean, you know, overall 40 time. They think there's a little more juice right. to get out of him as a deep receiver. He's a good high pointer of the football. Maybe just like, we see that you can do all these things. We want more because we think you can do more. And I think that's kind of, and that's how I viewed him uh, coming into this process of a guy that has a lot of talent. And I think Western Kentucky only tapped into him at the end of last season. These are his numbers just from the final, I think, five or six weeks of the season at Western Kentucky. They realized late in the season, oh man, we need to get the ball in his hands. From week 11 through the bowl game, 63 targets, 722 yards, eight touchdowns, and only one drop. 
So, Nate, where does he fit into this particular uh, receiving core? Because that's something James Franklin brought up is is how this kind of all works together with Mitchell Tinsley in the picture. Yeah, I think I think just to to go back briefly on on something Dave said. I mean, I I don't think that there's any question that, uh, and th- this is based on multiple different factors, but Penn State and probably everywhere else would love their football players to be just as competitive and motivated about their performance in the weight room and strength and conditioning aspects as they are about the game itself, right? Like if you are, if you are committed to making those, like they might seem like minor incremental improvements, but I mean, we were just talking right last week about who, who was it? Kate, Caden Saunders, like, be, hey, if you were 10 pounds heavier, that you wouldn't have gotten trucked on this play, right? Like, like that's that is such a big factor in how you actually perform once you get to the field that they they would love for everyone in the program to take on that level of seriousness about their training. Um, but as for as for where he fits, I mean, I, I like he's gonna start. Right. I mean, I mean, he's, he's, he, they brought him in to do that. That that's why he was attracted to Penn state because there is an opportunity. There's no question that there's an opportunity. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think certainly he'll have to stave off some guys who are vying for an opportunity in the younger classes, but you just, there's, there is not a wealth of, literally bodies numbers in the senior and junior classes that need to be worried about right like the, so the opportunity is there it's just up to him to go and take it yeah that's yeah. kind of what he said when he committed right he was like i know there's opportunity here for me um yeah. and that was important for him t frank the one thing i wanted to run by you is i was actually um I wrote about Tinsley for the site last week and I was going through some of his numbers um, mm-hmm. and he actually has like a very middling, like average depth of target yeah. from in, in the conference USA. So do you think that there is more potential for him to be used that way um, in, in Penn state's offense uh, based on what you've seen? Cause I know you dove into the film. Yeah. So he was used very differently at the beginning and the end of the season. The first thing is, you know, he was kind of slow at the gate because at 6'2, 205, he was blocking on a lot of screens and then he was getting a lot of bubble passes. So that's early in the season. I want to make sure I bring this up because that's why I mentioned the split 11 through the bowl game is they started feeding him targets and they started giving him more targets downfield. And when he got those big plays, he then broke him for touchdowns. He was able to break tackles, break free from guys, and outrun a lot of people. And I think that's what James Franklin brings up when he talks about um, wanting a guy to continue to do that and bring that to the Big Ten level. So you need to have a little bit more juice than you had at Western Kentucky, but he's capable of it. And I think that's the important part. And uh, I'm trying to look that up right now um, when it comes to his... Uh, I've spelled something wrong. So I'll come back to that in just a second. <laughs> somebody You're take so it from talented. me. I, I got to throw that. I got to throw somebody throw me a lifeline here while I type. I don't have the brain. I am not a good multitasker. Dave basketball. Oh, wow. This really, that was, that was the worst 
derailment we've had in a long time. I'm it gonna put that because down because I muted myself when I attempted <laughs> to talk about basketball to save your life. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amani Hansbury said some nice things about Penn State, Nate. Uh, okay. He's good. He's a six foot eight forward from DC. They had him on they campus need that. March. They do March twenty fourth. What are you hearing about the transfer portal, Nate? Are there any exciting names for them? Yeah, they want transfers. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so where where we talked about this a little bit before all the news, and then and then Dave and I talked about it on Thursday with okay, you've got to commit for the class of twenty three now. You have um, uh, you're bringing Miles Dredd back on this roster, so now you have a little more clarity with scholarships and things like that. Now you can go and attack things. What's, I guess, the situation now, and has anything really changed since that uh, when it comes to we know what they need, but yeah. now that we're down to the national championship game, can things start moving for people? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, like Ethan Wright is a guy who they, they want. Uh, Princeton guard who was all NABC or Ivy, like second team all Ivy, maybe. Um and then this other kid, Camp Winter, who is, was at LaSalle. LaSalle or Drexel? One Drexel. of the two of those. Drexel. 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 Sorry about that. So um, those are those are two that I would really mad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I would I, I would call them high priority targets um, of, of guards who have played and who have one year of eligibility remaining. I, I do think that that's uh, a, a a notion that I will hammer home repeatedly with Penn State basketball and football is that the most attractive prospects to programs are going to be one-year guys, mm -hmm. uh, like overwhelmingly. The, I, I do think, you know, depending on what the opportunity is, what the situation is, you will see transfers that that kind of fill in the middle of a, of a recruiting class, right? Like as uh, maybe a junior who have a couple of years left, but overwhelmingly it, the solution through the transfer portal for a lot of programs is going to be fifth year guys and guys that have that COVID year of eligibility. Yeah. It, it's, did you find it, what you were looking for? T I, I did. I did. Thanks guys. <laughs> I, I found what I was looking for. Uh, wow. Okay. So to, to just pull the, pull the e-brake and, and, and do a U-turn on this conversation going back to Mitchell Tinsley. Um, so to your question, Dave, about, hey, 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 you missed a really good segue. He is a one year transfer with one year of eligibility. <laughs> you couldn't fold that in. What are we doing here? Come on. I was on misforced tackles. I was three steps ahead. You're right. I, I was barely paying attention to what you guys were saying. There was a, something about a guy that was six, eight, something else about a thing that was anything. going Listen, yeah. listen, I have many skills, but like, uh, apparently I can't rub my belly and pat my head at the same time. Uh, so you were asking about Mitchell Tinsley and some of the, the numbers, the average depth of target. What happened last season in uh, the Western Kentucky offense is he was targeted on a lot of plays in the middle of the football field. So like 12 yards down the field, and then he was able to break tackles. He broke six, eight, ten tackles in the final four games, uh, and, and he had an average yards after catch per reception of like 6.3, but they were all over 
they were all over six for the final four games except for one game. So he's breaking tackles and running. And I think that's kind of the thing of it's it's a big explosive play, but he, he's catching a post, he's beating the corner, right. and then uh, he's breaking a tackle for a touchdown. He had longs of 75, 60, 65, uh, 60, 38. So he's, he's generating it that way as opposed to just slinging it down the field, which if you're Western Kentucky, you might not have enough time to do that. You know, you might have offensive line issues, things like that. So you want to get the ball out. And I think that's the sweet spot, truthfully. I don't think you want a guy that has an average depth of target of 18 yards or 19 yards down the field. It means he's one-dimensional. Tinsley can come in and do a lot of different things, and I think that's going to be important for this um, for this particular offense. They need more guys to do that because otherwise it's all on the quarterback because the quarterback has to throw the ball 20 yards down the field routinely to get those plays. Anything else when it comes to basketball that we want to wrap up before we get back into uh, football? And as no. we just, just ping pong all over the place. Keep us with football. Okay. It's what the, it's what the people want. Bradley did say, uh, to follow up on that question from earlier, does media attention, speaking to players and things like that, attract other players to Penn State? And I, you know, it's such a small part of the puzzle, Bradley, that it, it probably is not a factor whatsoever. Of I, it's all it's all about perception, right? So if you're covered well and you have a big media yeah. base and you're on TV a lot, but those things are kind of all rolled up together in just the brand that is Penn State. Yeah, you yeah, get that at Michigan and Ohio State too. You know, right, like, right. Basically, anybody anybody that's at this level of being recruited, uh, I, I don't think it's a huge part, but there is a reason why in the front what. 12 to 15 pages of the the media guide right which is something that all recruits are handed um or have access to is a page that says hey penn state is one of the most well covered college football programs in all of media college yep. game day comes to penn state once a year like all of those different things it's about attention and now again with the nil stuff there there's a direct tie to that right like yeah. it, the, the the media attention ex, uh, increases your exposure on social media platforms, ex, increases your, your brand value, yep. basically. And that's a great point to make, Nate. If you are a potential recruit for Penn State football and you want to come on the BWI Daily Edition, at Thomas Frank Carr, hit me up on uh, with a DM. We'll get you on the show. It can't hurt your NIL. Uh, Tyler asks... Shameless. I will shameless plug myself into his successful career. I promise you. Tyler asks, internal expectations have been high for the last couple of years from talking to coaches and players. Is that confidence still there after a couple of down seasons? Nate, this was your uh, vibe to start training camp or to start spring practice, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's tough because I I can't answer this in less than... 25 minutes so I, I <laughs> well mean they... you've, you've got about two i'll give you two here well look okay so i think that internally the perception about 2020 was that it was a complete train wreck disaster that was somewhat within their hands but in a lot of ways completely out of everyone's hands it was in god's hands um and, and so and i understand the argument against that i, I get it like well why did other teams have success but guess what they didn't Wisconsin yeah. went three and three. Michigan went two and four. Like there, there, there were a bunch of programs that had they played a full allotment of games would have ended with a similar losing record to Penn State. Right. That's the first piece. The second piece is 
there was confidence coming out of 2020 toward 2021 that bore out. They were the fourth ranked team in the country. That wasn't a mirage, I don't think, in the first half of the season. They beat a good Wisconsin team on yep. the road in the first week of the season. They beat a good, very good, I would argue, Auburn team, despite the train wreck that that became by the end of the year. That was a good, like at that time, that was a good Auburn team. Yep. So Penn State had success and felt confident. The quarterback got hurt. <laughs> the quarterback got hurt. Like, yeah. it's, it's not it's not everything, but it was a big piece of, of how things started to, to come off the track for Penn State. So when you're talking about confidence and whether or not they think they have the ability to compete at the level that Penn State fans expect or want, yeah, I don't. I've never gotten another sense. They expect to be a good team, a great team who has the opportunity to compete with and beat anybody on their schedule, right? Like I don't, I, I mean, Ohio state, they come out of those experiences where they play Ohio state tough basically every year and just did last year at Ohio state feeling like they belong, not yep. like, Oh, this is one night of Cinderella where they, they just it happens happen every year, right? Correct. Every year Correct. they play them close. Correct. So no, yeah. I don't, I, to answer the question, uh, it, is that confidence still there? Yeah, it is. Yeah. No question about it. This is BWI live show. Thanks everyone who's participated so far. If you've got some questions, throw them in the chat. We'll make sure to get to them before the end of the show. A couple more things that we're going to discuss. This seems like a good time to transition to talk about Mike Yersich and the offense and the quarterback. He, Asked, was asked and uh, answered some questions about Sean Clifford, about the freshman as well. So one of the things that he brought up was this is year two for Sean Clifford in the offense. The fluidity of what he's supposed to do is should be much more evident to him. Do you think that that advantage is going to help Penn State not just early in the season, but sustain throughout the year because Nate what you brought up is they were the number four team in the nation he did get hurt but as an offense they could not sustain I think on a on a macro level and a micro level much of any momentum during a game or throughout the season uh so so Dave do you think that that is going to be a factor this year for Sean Clifford or is Sean Clifford and what he is kind of the story yeah I you know like I'm not sure, to be honest. It's it's when when Sean Clifford was talking about coming back before the Outback Bowl. Um, rest in peace to the Outback Bowl, by the way. Um, he <laughs> said that this was a big deal. That two years of Mike Yurcich, a second year to kind of build on the foundations of what they started, was something that he felt was going to have a strong impact. And to be clear. We have never seen Sean Clifford, despite him being here for approximately 57 years, right? Like, this is the first time that Sean Clifford is going to have a second year as a starter under the same offensive coordinator. So, we've never seen this before. Um, with that in mind, I will kind of defer to what they're saying, being Yursich and Clifford, and say, yeah, it will matter. Because they're telling me it matters, and right now I don't have any information to deny or disagree with that um you know i mean it, it I, I think it is tempting to say that sean clifford is what he is but 
and 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 to be honest, I, I I do kind of believe that at this point. But the the that version of of Sean Clifford can can have a different level of production based on his own comfort in the system and what's going on around him in the system. So uh, I do think that it matters. Nate, my my battery is at two percent, or else I turn on my flashlight and we we'd sing our 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 hits. hits. We'd sing our hits about Sean Clifford again. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm, I have a sure. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna say, like, just because I see his name in the chat, like, is Saquon Barkley still Saquon Barkley? What do you mean? Uh, you know, is he is he a bad player now because he's got a garbage offensive line and quarterback in New York? Like, right. I don't. I just. I think that. No, again, that's a great. Let, let me. Let me. Let me. Let me say this for you because I think what you're saying is absolutely right. Every player, great player, medium player, low-end player, they all have strengths and weaknesses. And put in the right situation, they can shine. Saquon Barkley's strengths are not what New York can take advantage of because he does not have the opportunity to be explosive and to get downfield and then make players miss in open space. He has not been afforded that ability at the NFL level. The players are just faster, they're stronger, they're bigger. He can't make everyone look silly. So he needs his offense to do a little bit more to give him that opportunity. That is the fate of being a running back. Sean Clifford is the same thing. He can yep. be effective, but the offense has to help him. He is not a transcendent player at the position where transcendent players can do these things. But that doesn't mean he's not a player you can't win with, which is kind of what we've been saying all offseason, right, Nate? Yeah, and I, I like I was actually thinking about it this weekend because I feel like I've come across as being harsh towards Sean Clifford, but I think it's unfair. Most players aren't transcendent. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like overwhelmingly, most players in the game are not transcendent. And so you have to have it, it is it just it's it's eleven. It's eleven, it's eleven, it's eleven, it's eleven. Juice Scruggs said it. All of the coaches say it, and when it comes from coaches, it's easy to tune out, but I think that the players themselves understand that everyone has to carry their weight for things to operate and work the way that they want them to. Can Penn State win a national championship with Sean Clifford? Probably not. Can they win seven or eight Big Ten games with Sean Clifford? Sure, if everyone does their job. Yeah. If, ever, if, if everything, if all of the other pieces of the puzzle line up and do and perform to the ability uh, that that certainly the program thinks they're capable of, then yes. Well, what's what's Georgia's quarterback's name that just won a national championship? I I genuinely okay, don't know. Yeah, what, I, don't, I what genuinely was it drive through. Uh, yeah, Stepford. Was it was it Stetson Bennett? Is that his name? Stetson. Yep. Okay. Yes. All right. And I think that three professionals who were having a hard time coming up with his name should show you like what. A good player operates the offense, makes some throws, but that was a historic team. That was that defense was a historic defense. That offense had elements of greatness with George Pickens and and some of the tight ends and and the offensive line and their their skill position players. So if you've got that, okay, sure. That's the point of a great quarterback is that you can say, okay, our defense is going to be oh, not generationally great. So let's not let's not point to um, recency bias or outliers when it comes to that particular position. As to Nate's point, you can win and be good 
but this is kind of the conversation we're having about Sean Clifford. Um, now, the questions about the rest of the offense, Mike Yersich basically said we're done talking about the run game in 2021. Nate, this is something you wanted to talk about, uh, the run yeah. game and Mike Yersich and his, his comments and sort of his vibe with the media last week. What made you, what made this stand out to you? Yeah, I, I just, I think that, I think that the, uh, and and he said it, right, is the opportunity to do a post-mortem on last year has passed, right? Like, they're not going to do it anymore. They're going to look at how to make this season go well for Penn State. Um, and, and, you know, I'm doing some, some uh, what do they call it, armchair psychology here, but he's a prideful guy, right? Like the, uh, the program is prideful. And so I think some of the mishaps and some of the things that didn't go to plan are things that probably eat at them a little bit and something that they believe is much more productive to look forward about than it is to look back, right? Yeah. Like you just, I mean, how, how, how long and how much time can you spend? Like, are you going to spend the off season um, providing quotes to the media, which is us, right? And mm -hmm. and we we will write about what you say, regardless of what that is, whatever it is that comes out of Mike Yersich's mouth, we're going to write about it. And we're going to talk about it. And so he has a choice between: Am I going to to provide quotes that allow to write over and over and over about 2021? Or do I want to do something else? And right. I mean, I think pretty clearly uh, his response. And I think I think the same you could say uh, probably about James Franklin and the players at Penn State is nobody in the program was happy with what happened last season. And they think that now the time is for a conversation about how to change that and how to make it better this year. Yeah. And, and um, I know we talked to Juice Scruggs yesterday at practice. We talked about the offensive line. I think I've I've said more words about the offensive line than I've talked about my wife in my entire lifetime. Like just in the past three months, I've said more words about the offensive line. So um, what was your feeling on the next step then? If we're not looking back, what's your feeling on the next step? Talking to Scruggs and hearing what Mike Yersich had to say about being better this year. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that there was a sense of optimism. I think it's a cautious optimism, but I mean, Scruggs was saying, look, uh, the entire spring, the entire winter has been dedicated to figuring this out, to, right? Like, yeah, he again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically said that he didn't know uh, he didn't know exactly what went wrong. Other than that, it was everybody and that everybody because I asked, I said, is this just an offensive line thing? Is this just a running backs thing? Like when you when you look back or, or when you talk about last year, is that what it is? Uh, and he was like, no, no, no. This is everybody. This is mm -hmm. the entirety of the offense. The entire off operation understands that something has to change. Things have to be better executed uh, because they they feel as though they're being put in a, into positions to succeed. It's yeah. just a matter of, Dave. hey, you've got to be able to execute those things. Dave, I, I think you were next to me during the quote that Everyone heard and everyone talked about during practice. Jay Wansider telling the offensive skill players, not just the running backs, you were last in yards after contact last season. And everyone knows it, 
was basically what he said. So when it comes to it's everybody on offense, what are you seeing? You know, I know you look at the data. I know you look at PFF and some of the advanced metrics. Where are the areas? Is that just one area? What are other things you think can help improve that particular part of the offense? Yeah, I, I would just reiterate what, what Nate has said, which is that, you know, like James Franklin said this too all of last season, which is that it's everyone, and that includes the people who have the ball in their hands. So with the type of athletes that Penn State has at its disposal, there is no reason that they should be last in the country in yards after capture, yards after contact, whatever it was. Uh, I think it was contact. Yeah. So that obviously has to get better. Um, I don't know if that's a, a training thing. I don't know if that's a mindset thing. Clearly, the mindset is something that they're trying to address based on what Jaywan Sider said. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's got to get better. And 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 what Nate said is 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 true. It's it's all like it. It's a formula, and if one aspect of the formula doesn't work, the whole formula doesn't work on any particular play. And, and James Franklin said this, right? Like, obviously, we know that the offensive line takes the majority of the, like, brunt of the criticism for this. Yeah. But it's not just the offensive line, guys. It's everything. And I think uh, for the running game to take the step forward that we all want to see, uh, that Penn State fans all want to see, you know, the offensive line has to get better. The running backs have to get better. The scheme has to get better. The tight yeah. ends have to get better. It's everything. So... And that's, that's one thing. One that's one thing too. And I so quickly before I get to I think the last point we're gonna make on this, uh, I think it's M Shive too, on Twitter, not here on YouTube, asked me last week, is yards after contact a skill or a mentality? And the answer is yes. You have to be able to break <laughs> tackles, but also you have to be able to want to break tackles. And Penn State has players that can break tackles. Dave, you made a great point about it. I think it's the tight end position that when you talk about what they did last season, that was the one area I was a little disappointed in what they did is that they could catch the ball. They could get into space, but they didn't catch the ball or they didn't break a tackle to make a good play into a big play. Uh, last thing that I want to bring about the offensive line is it's also year two for them. And it's really year two of having full contact coaching from Phil Troutwine. Uh, this is year three of him in the program, but also year two for a lot of guys actually being coached in person, having the time and spring practice to implement all of the techniques and things that they want to do at that position. And one thing, and this is where I think um, some of the conversation about the run game gets off the rails when talking to Penn State coaches and players is like, what about 2021? What about 2021? Instead of focusing on, are you going to be able to run more outside zone this year? Which is a huge part of what Mike Yurcich has done historically. is run inside, outside zone, make guys wrong when they guess one way or the other. And it's something Penn State has not done throughout James Franklin's tenure, so it's relatively new. They've been trying to install it for a couple of years, a couple of different coordinators. They just, pandemic, haven't had the chance to really install it fully and I think year two, we might see more of that or just more successful cohesion when it comes to schemes and techniques from the players up front because all of this stuff is not brand new. It's not like what the defense is going through right now. Uh, we got to get going, though. 
BWI Live, we're coming here uh, a little past 1 o'clock. Thank you for joining the show. If you uh, haven't yet, please like the video. And if you're feeling like you want somebody to see this later, make sure you share it. And as always, if you're catching here just the tail end of it, we are going to have this. This is always live right away for replay on YouTube. We'll have it up at bluewhiteillustrated.com as well. Final thoughts, Nate? Uh, just to answer Brian's question, want to make sure that we get to it. Uh, position group. I have absolutely no idea how they perform. Uh, there's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about the offensive line. I don't know about the tight ends. I don't know about the receivers. I don't know about the quarterback. Hmm. I don't know about the running backs. <laughs> I don't know about the defensive line. I'm not sure about the linebackers. I think the corners are going to be pretty good. So we'll go with that. Dave, any final thoughts? We're all top. Uh, you know, it's just... We're, we're grinding. We're going to keep going. We're going to go one and know this week with our content, and we're going to learn some more about Penn State football. And it's going to be great. Uh, the BWI Daily Edition coming up later today, or if you're watching this in replay, it's out at 4 o'clock every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, we'll have Penn State practice coming up on Wednesday, live reactions from that as well. So stay tuned for Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube, and as always, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and here on YouTube. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you later.